if you were blue or green, you'd look like a Muppet. <laughs> it's like robot. <laughs> it's the little things I do to entertain you, sir. Like, oh, man. You know, well, Hopefully we'll be able to put this up on YouTube because that's why I'm doing all this stuff. I'm going to try it this week. So, um, so here we go. Alex Simmons, Chris Ryan, episode 127. That's a hundred. Tell the damn story. That was the number of the public school in our neighborhood. Uh, 127. There you go. In yep. the BK. Oh, BX, baby. BX <laughs> in the Bronx. Yes, in the boogie so, down. Right. Okay. In the boogie down. You know, they're going to come so, for it. Don't get yeah, that right. We were, you live in the boogie down now. I lived in there then. Boogie down's running through this show. Well, we got lots to talk about today. Hey. Alex Simmons, how oh, you been? Hey. What's been uh-huh. going on, brother? I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. And we couldn't get any. No, we could get nuttier, but we're going to try and uh, give you a good show. This time around, we're going to be talking about a number of things, including, you know, sticking with our Get Your Right On series uh, about genres and their Mm -hmm. place in the process and about uh, writers pursuing their craft and depending on the, shall we say, support, professional support of those they encounter. Yes, there's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a number of things to say about that. But before we get into that, uh, we have some, you know, little things that have been going on around. I mean, first off, it's, it's, <laughs> February. it's February. It's that short month in, in the year uh, that is uh, referred to as Black History Month. Yes. So there's been a number of things coming up. So I'm just going to just shout out to everybody who's done this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Not only for uh, posting... Uh, historical information about, you know, the, the progress of black folks in the world, people of color in the world, um, you know, through history. That's been great. I've learned some stuff I, I should have learned 30 years ago. This is all cool. This is all cool. And then the other thing is, and this is very, 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 very personal. Uh, thank you to all the artists and people who are posting in Facebook and Instagram and all that um, covers of my blackjack books. I'm, I'm really yeah, that's pretty cool. very honored. And there were even... If I remember right, six artists, uh, several of whom I do not know, uh, who did new drawings of the character. So thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody, for that. It's been cool, and certainly I've been, I've just been having a grand time this month uh, with that. So that's my, my, that's one of the things I'm going to add to uh, this "What's Going On" uh, moment in our, in our episode. How about you, sir? And I wanted to, I wanted to add one other. I'm trying to find. Uh... KJ Briggs 41 on Instagram. Um, I want to talk about him for a second. He was very nice. He uh, complimented me on something that we're going to talk about in a minute. But he's got this great thing going on on his Instagram. It's followed by Tell the Damn Story, mm-hmm. where every day he has posted another element of artistic output from Black History Month or related to, you know. Um, CDs or recordings, you know, Sun Ra, stuff like that, um, Brothers of Valor, Jesse Fuller, a pictorial history of jazz, you know, and um, I'd say 90% of it is uh, rela- uh, can be related to Black History Month, Love Supreme, all that sort of stuff. So you can just kind of take a look to, oh, I never heard that. Let me go listen to that, especially, mm-hmm. uh, you know. The people who have those um, streaming services where they can just type in anything and listen. Yeah. Go go to his uh, Insta and uh, find something you haven't heard yet. 
yep. you know, before the month's out. And As my friend, go, let me mention one quickly since you brought that up. Um, Intruder in the Dust was a film made in 1949, which I didn't know anything about until a few months ago, about a black man who is in a southern town is accused of having murdered a white man and um, the lawyer who has a white lawyer who has to represent him. And it's a bit of a mystery as well as to who done what to whom. And it preceded To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, seemingly wow. for a budget, you know. Uh, and I am I was just very impressed with the, the, the story, the piece, you know, and the fact that, again, I didn't know it. You know, I hadn't heard anything about it. So, yeah, this, it's a month of discovery of, of uh, artistic as well as uh, historical information, and I, I'm enjoying yeah. it. And, um, you know, I think sometimes you try and get the latest thing, and sometimes you just get the thing that you didn't know about, like you mm -hmm. just said. Um, this week I read Stephen King and Richard Chismar, uh, who Richard Chismar is an independent publisher. He publishes uh, cemetery cemetery dance books, right? Okay. But um, they they uh, collaborated on a book about I think it was 2017. It was almost a novella, like a novella. Wendy's Button Box, and then I think it was this year uh, Chismar came out with a sequel to it, Wendy's. Magic Feather and King wrote the foreword. I read both of them in two days, uh, <laughs> and it was it was delightful. It was great time. It's an all they're both all ages with um, a couple of scares, um, but it asked that question. You know, what if you were given ultimate power and you knew the consequences? What would you do? You know, it's it's and sort of interesting. It's really how, cool. Yeah, this it's interesting how again we stumble across these things. Um, I it, it occurred to me that as I mentioned the 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 movie, you know, which you know, the Intruder in the Dust, which is you know relevant, important. I enjoyed the film. It's a low budget film, um, but thoroughly, you know, again, I enjoyed it, and so did some of my my students who uh, watched it at my recommendation. But I didn't mention the author of the book that the movie was based on. What the was, hell, man? Which was more of a shock to me because it was William Faulkner. Wow. That's right. Yep. Uh, yeah, see? Faulkner wrote go. the book the previous year. I should say it was published the previous year. And then immediately the film company jumped right on it. That's so anyway, there you can see. You, know, you never know. I, I think these two will eventually be snatched up by somebody. Um, let's talk about, um, well... I got uh, 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 now something. My second story, yes, featuring uh, uh, has been accepted for publication at Shotgun Honey. Uh, uh, it's going to be published on their website on April thirtieth. Now, uh, let's see. I just want to make sure I have it right. Uh, we amused everybody, at least I hope it was amused, with the story of how Penelope's debut was on October 15th, 2018, and because of some email uh, malfunctions, I didn't find out about it <laughs> until a little while ago, a couple of months, uh, a couple of weeks, and uh, in celebration of that, I looked at uh, the different Penelope stories I've read, I've written, and uh, sent another one that I thought was appropriate, and um, yeah. 
man. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. So I'm, I'm very excited. I, you know, I'm impressed with Shotgun Honey's stuff. I would love... Quickly, quickly, tell know. people who are, who are just tuning in for the first time. Shotgun Honey is a... It's a, it's a um, crime publisher, you know, crime novels and that kind of stuff. And um, they publish really super short pieces, 700 words or less, on the website. And that's where I am right now. But they also do some anthologies. I'd love to graduate to that sometime. And they uh, have a, um, a stable of authors that they publish, and that's growing. And, you know, all of that. That's all the dream. You know, that's the dream. But yeah. it's another step for me um, in what I'm calling the, the transition. I'm transitioning from purely independent to uh, going the traditional route. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the main things we'll talk about. Um, and as part of that, um, one of the things that I'm doing, and, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about how how people who are aspiring, you know, well, how do you find out what you need to find out, right? Mm -hmm. um, everywhere, go, you know, find everywhere, right? Um, one of the things I did was I went to my Twitter account and systematically eliminated. Uh, the politics and all the people I was following for entertainment, you know, um, uh, celebrities or whoever or whatever, or comedians. And then I began to search for and follow our, uh, writers, writers and publishers, small publishers, um, especially ones, uh, small publishers whose books I've read their, you know, their product mm -hmm. or uh, I liked what they put out um, and writers who, I enjoyed. So, so it started out as a small list. And then I would look at, and this is advice, you know, uh, kind of easing towards get you right on here, but um, advice for aspiring writers, you know, get a couple of writers that you enjoy and then look at who, well, not who their followers are, but who they follow. And if they're, if they're authors, follow them, look at their material and try their material out. You know, you don't, if you're on a limited budget, you can try their stuff out by going to the library, you know, um, or going to, um, hold on, I'm going to have to find out what their, uh, there's an on, um, there's an app you can get from the library where you can borrow it right on yeah, your phone. Yeah, yeah, um, let's um, eat something. I'm going to look, I'm going to look it up. Because, while you're talking, uh, I'll look. While you're talking, go ahead. You look, okay. Because... It's easier than ever to find stuff and do research that way. You know, the cliche is, or the, the sage advice is, writers need to read all the time. And my slight, God bless it, humble 2020 update of that is they should read all the time and then follow and Simply see who those e. What? Simply E. Um, that might be one of the library ones. That's not the one that I use. I'll look for it. Oh, okay. Um, Fine. Be like that. I'm trying to back yeah, you I up. I know how it is. I know how it is. Um, so I follow and I see who they like. And one of the things that that did was it introduced me to uh, the community of um, crime and pulp and mystery writers. That uh, those are the areas that, and we'll talk about how you find your area later on. But those are the areas that I write most. You know, some some horror, some supernatural. It's all kind of mixed a little together. Little sci-fi. But yep, you follow that, and then you kind of 
So now there's a long list of people I follow. And when I go through that Twitter, three or four, uh, you know, out of 10, you're like, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh let me try this. And then, um, so, so I encourage you to, if you're trying to figure out how to do what you do, that's one of the ways. Um, what you'll find is that there are some people who are on there who are teachers. You know, they were editors, they were uh, writers, they were publishers, and now they teach. I want to mention uh, three of them. Two are partners, and one is uh, legendary. Uh, her name is Jane Friedman. And Friedman? Friedman. F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. And Jane Friedman is uh, has very reliable, down-to-earth uh, professional advice for the aspiring or starting or, you know, first couple of years or, in my case, transitioning writer. Um, she was with Writer's Digest for a long time. You can find her column on janefreeman.com, mm-hmm. and it is an education in itself. If you follow the great courses, she has... Uh, how to be a writer uh, course there that is very, very good. And she also has, uh, for the case we put it up on YouTube, The Business of Being a Writer by Jane Friedman. You just saw the book, folks. Yes. yes. And it is practical uh, advice for both nonfiction and fiction. Um, and it's it answers a lot of the questions of, you know, well, how do I find out how I how do I get what I need to know and get there and all that sort of stuff? Uh, two others who do this, they make appearances. They have a YouTube that does advice like this. And they have this. I'm, um, That's cool. I I'm hope this your book published. I'm losing you there. How to write it, sell it. What was that? I just, it, it froze up or something like this. So I don't know okay. if it's well, just me or. Whatever. So just repeat the title again, please. Sure. It's a long title. Okay. The Essential Guide to Getting Your Book Published. Subtitle, How to Write It, Sell It, and Market It Successfully. And that is by Ariel Eckstuck and David Henry Sterry. And they have, uh, uh, what do they call the... Uh, publishers Online. So if you YouTube their names... Again, it's Ariel Extert, E-C-K-S-T-U-T. Probably not a lot of people on YouTube with that name. <laughs> David Henry Sterry, S-T-E-R-R-Y. You'll find there there. And subscribe to that and go back and watch some of their older stuff. And again, uh, they're a little more humorous than Jane. Jane's very serious. Um, but again, you you start gathering you know, gather your education. And these are ways to do it with, um, you know, if you can go if you can go to an MFA program, God bless you, you know. But if you can't, this is, this is ways you can do it. And between this and uh, cultivating or curating uh, a Twitter uh, follow list that works for you rather than just entertaining you, uh, these are ways to start getting where you got to go. And the reason I bring it up is this is how I learned about shotgun honey. This is how I learned about some of the other places I'll be submitting to. Um, it's how I really started seeing practical ways to transition from 
independent publisher or independently published to traditionally published. And um, we'll see. We'll see if I, you know, if you get there, bro. But um, yeah, I'm excited about it, April 30th and, and having that done. And uh, less time to find out about that one. <laughs> it did. It, there's much less time because, again, you got to get better at, at, at what you attention. do, right? Yeah. You have to grow your skills. Yeah. I am a case in point where, you know, I thought I was all cocky and I had all my stuff down. And then I found out, oh, dang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Um, learn, learn, learn. All right. Let's see. Um, I, I do want to talk about one other thing before we get into. So um, one of the things that grow out of this is that you start learning. And, you know, there's this whole culture that I'm not part of yet, which is where, you know, the published author community, they get advanced copies of each other's books, you know, mm -hmm. and they read them early and give out blurbs and all stuff. And yeah, I'd love to be that sometime, but I'm not yet. And one of the things I do is because I'm trying to find out what the market, where the market actually is now, you know, mm -hmm. because left to my own devices, I'm just as liable to uh, read something from the 30s or 70s as I am, you know, a 2020 book, right? So I'm making a, a concerted effort, um, especially when it comes to the suspense class I'm teaching, to read stuff within the last 15 or 20 years, especially for my students, and then within the last year, so I can see, you know, all right, right. What, you know what differences are, right? So I try, some, I try and do the same thing with films. You know, there's right. all the things that I grew up with. There's all the things that I've loved over the years. And then there's what's happening now. And if you're teaching, you got to try and be as relevant as possible. Right. You gotta, yeah. So, you know, and it's you, you feed the edu for your self-education. It's mm -hmm. both and. You know, I, re I watched a movie from 1939 last night. Um, interesting. I had never seen it before. And, uh, and, you know, back to current stuff today or whatever. So anyway, this book. Um, I've started seeing this person mentioned a lot in London, and I found her, uh, followed her, and um, liked something she did, and she responded right away, which is a good, you know, respond positively all the time. Um, so, you know, I started seeing her book cover and all that sort of stuff, and luckily for me, the goddess is working at the library these days, Again, so, uh, for those of you who are new to the series, the goddess is the lovely lady that he's been married to for a thousand years and still adored. Absolutely. Go for it. true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. So, um, you know, the thing with her is you mention a book and then all of a sudden it comes home. So I had mentioned that book and all of a sudden it came home. And I had finished the um, King and Chismore book. So um, I started reading it. And I got about 50 pages in this morning. And... I've got, you know, she's got a nice style, you know, uh, easy, conversational. Um, she feels real, you know, so I'm rooting for her. Um, but I'm kind of pissed at her editors on her behalf. And, and you told and me about this. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's hear this. Let's get into it. So, and again, I'm not naming any names because who the hell am I, right? But you'll see what I mean. So, um, in the insigning incident, which is the 
the thing that starts the journey or starts the adventure or, or introduces the problem, right? The In the story, yes, right? Right. So our hero, the protagonist, loses uh, a lot of personal items. A lot of personal yeah. items. Yeah. It, it is clearly established that this, this, and this is lost, right? Very Including keys, keys and wallet, among other things. And then within the next 50 pages, you know, which only takes up the next day or two, um, she uses the keys that she listed as, you know, part of the things that went missing. She uses them on the door that she knows they changed the locks because the keys went missing. And that's an easy fix. Yeah. You and, know, and, and then and, another time she mentions that she didn't grab her wallet on her way out, even though that was missing as well. And within 10 pages or 12 pages, there's another scene where she says, well, the keys of the well, at least the wallet was part of the things that was stolen. In the first 50 pages, that's where your reader commits or doesn't commit. So, you don't have to, um, you don't have to sell your soul. You don't have to uh, successfully uh, accomplish brain surgery and nothing like that. You just have to tell a story honestly from your heart. And then, if you're lucky enough, and this, God bless this woman, I wish her all the luck. She's, she's got talent. I'd love her to succeed. And she's got lots of money behind this because I see the book everywhere. So the, so the publicity push is, is good. It's right. solid. Yes. And it's not from, this is from a, a name public publisher. But what the, the hell? Editor. Editor? Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. These are the kind of things that are the, your bread and butter in catching. And both of them are easy note. Wait a second. You can't have a character using the keys that she said were stolen. You can't say she didn't grab her wallet. Her wallet's missing. These are easy. It's a one-sentence thing. She went up to the door, went in her pocket. Oh, my God, I don't have my keys. Then she remembered, as she does later in that same paragraph, her husband dropped off the new key because they got, the, oh, here we go, boom, 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 right? Or just use the new key and get in. What the hell? And just... Edit out the I didn't grab my wallet. You know, I was going to, I didn't have anything with me. You know, or add it on to here's the situation where the inciting incident, incident is creating more problems for you. It's, it, it was so easy to catch. And if you caught those things, you know, again, first 50 pages, any book. At any point, but as, as especially the first 50 pages, they have to be like a really great baseline. You got to feel it. Now, let, let me not be drawn attention. Let me ask you a question this here. This knocks you out of the story. Yeah, let me, because we're having a dialogue now. When he first told me this, I went bonkers too, because I know what we all go through, you know, when we edit ourselves, then we try and get people to read it, and they catch yeah. that, and then yeah. other stuff gets away. I know it. Let me ask you this. Because you have not finished the book, do you yeah. feel that? What you just pointed out could be a device that will somehow be played up later. Is well, that possible? Um, 
because they talked about it afterwards that, oh, yeah, that stuff was stolen. I, I, it just looks like a mistake. And if it's a device, you have to do it with more panache. And the editor, again, can help with that. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if she was forgetting other things, if, you know, she was in denial. And there's some opportunities for her to uh, suggest that, but she doesn't. There okay. are some logic problems that um, I'm frustrated with with this, the the character, but we how many characters have you? Oh, come on, don't go in that door. Yeah, right, you know, right. You know, right. But that's that's part of the reading experience, and I'm okay with all that stuff. I'll give it to about page hundred, and we got to see if it's if it's a technique. It's got to be a technique. But what I'm worried about, and what knocks me out of the story, is wow, did an editor not catch that? And then a couple yeah. of pages later, wait, did an editor not catch that either? Yeah, yeah. So and, if and you're it, thinking about the editor. A device, even if it is a device, like you said, it knocked you out of the story. Yeah, and that's that's the yeah. mortal sin. That's the mortal sin. And, and it's, you know, that's what an editor does, right? An editor catches that and smooths those things over and challenges, you know, and again... I, I have this unnamed uh, uh, editor that I really have to ask. I haven't yet because I'm chicken. The um, one you're working with. Yeah. yeah and right. she has on a number of occasions asked the very simple question that made me go, don't, <laughs> you know, how, how could I have missed that? And an easy fix. And I run to the keyboard because, oh yeah, I got a chance to make the story better. Boom. Yes. I bet you this author would have done the same thing. She has a passion for it, um, you know. And the other thing is, God, God, God forgive me, because I don't want to get in trouble with any of this stuff. But the book is, I mean, it's aimed right at the bestseller list. And they brought out the big guns, best-selling authors, to blurb it. And they blurbed it hard. They uh-huh. really were complimentary. And I'm thinking, there's no way these people of this caliber, there's no way that they read through this and didn't catch those. Then you start thinking, did they blurb without even reading the first Ooh. 50 pages? Ooh. And that, that would be so... Disheartening? Yeah, it would be kind of on the level of baseball fans having to deal with the Astros ripping everybody off by cheating. You know, yeah, I said it. Um, <laughs> so everyone else is saying it. Um, but it was that, it, for me, it was that level. It was like, oh, no, you know, did all of these people just blindly blurb? Is it, you know, and maybe it's naive, you know, but given a chance, someone asked me to blurb, I'd want to read the book. And, you know, I mean, that's still, that's your professional reputation. You know, so that's how these little things can have such uh, a big impact. One, if it knocks you out of the uh, book, or if it makes you think, hey, does the editor mean that to be there? Then you're thinking about the editor, you're not thinking about the story, or you're thinking about the author, you're not thinking about the story, the magic is gone. Yeah, and then if it's, for, I mean, maybe maybe you know, and I'm not a stick in the mud, you know. I want to be 
you know, uh, work your magic. I want to be seduced. I want to be author. So, I mean, I'm not even going to, it's not like you've said, oh, I can't believe this person even got a contract or that kind of nonsense. No, I want her to got styles. Yeah. You're, you're rooting for and everything. And then you get into the book and you're not even saying anything other than if this is not a stylistic choice, if this is not a device, then what the heck happened? And, and that takes, even if it is, but it's, it takes it still back knocked me out. What we're talking about, which is the pursuit, you know, writers, whether they're they're beginners or they've been at it for a little while or they're seasoned vets, we put ourselves on the line. We we say we have a story worth telling, and therefore we want people to read it. And if we have to go through a system, because uh, we're being published by someone else, and you've got editors and and all of this then we need your support because the idea is to make this our best. Right. Right. You know, so then the audience gets our best and hopefully enjoys it immensely. Yeah. And then we're dependent on that. We're depending on somebody to have our backs in case we were too close. And 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 that's there. That's what, that's what these people are making their living on, you know, and as far as the blurbs are concerned, those people are putting their stamp of approval because if you read them, You'll like this. Right. So they're saying this is as good as my stuff. Are you saying that you would uh, that this kind of thing would happen in your stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you ever, well, you ever, yeah. um, we got to hope that go to a restaurant on someone's recommendation and the restaurant is ooh, man, oh. not happening. Yep, yep. Yeah. You look at that person for years yeah. afterwards, like, uh, you recommended what? Uh, that yeah, you've been bro, eating. I'm gonna... Didn't tell me. Okay, so, <laughs> okay, so again, all right. So out there, we... you know, for folks out there, it's not only about you reading through your work and then getting somebody else to read through your work, but really just work with your editors. Look for good people that you can trust, and then go go through it again. There's 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 a point at which yes, you'll stop doing that. But I think most assuredly, you got to try and be careful. I still find things that I did in a story I wrote years ago, and I go, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and trying to go forward, going forward, try not to do that again. Yeah, and and, and that's that's an argument or or, uh, a discussion topic that uh, discussion that writers have with themselves and each other all the time. Do we go back or do we go forward? You know, Mm -hmm. you could go back and rewrite everything and rewrite, you know, and um, let's see if I have it. Do I have it here? Yeah. Uh, Neil Gaiman once wrote, um, uh, he said that um, he was going with the Highland Laws, you know, uh, suggested by science fiction writer uh, America of America, Grandmaster Robert E. Highland. And he was here with the rules. You must write. You must finish what you start. You must refrain from rewriting except to editorial order. You must put the work on the market. You must keep the work on the market until it is sold. Nothing about you should rewrite it after it's in the market or you should, you know. Um, so I think you rewrite till you're satisfied. You think it's worth submitting to the market. But, uh, you know, what, am I, what do I know? Um, <laughs> uh, you know what you so, know. That's all you, you know, can. I think that, I think there's a good argument for moving forward and writing new stuff and all that sort of stuff because you always keep getting better. But ultimately, all of this is part of that that effort to tell the damn story as clearly as you can. 
you know, and if you if there's an editor who is accepting money to help you tell that damn story, they got to catch easy yeah. catches like this, you know, yeah. especially when you're still in the trial period, you know, this is the first couple of dates between writer and reader, you know. Yeah. Hi. So, what's your sign? How you doing? <laughs> you want to go for pizza? You know, everyone's got to be on their best behavior, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you're a strength man. <laughs> so, thinking about telling the damn story. Yes. I posed a question on social media uh, about a week ago, and yes. had an array of responses, uh, which I found were quite interesting and fun and enlightening. Uh, one of them rather intense, which we will mention. And then I also put the same question to a class of my uh, screenwriting students. And so here was the question. I said, which is the more powerful genre for storytelling? That was the question I put out there. And then I gave four examples of genres, uh, drama, horror, romance, and comedy. Yes. Right. Okay. So um, the responses were, in terms of, in general, people would pick one or the other. And by the way, I need to mention that Instagram, uh, when I set this up, I did not set this up with a right answer. It was simply a question to see what people would say. Somehow, in the Instagram software, it chose what it thought was the right answer, which has nothing to do, did not come from me. So anybody what does what does Instagram believe is drama. the most powerful drama? Okay. Drama was the right answer. So the software has its own opinion, which does That's not reflect that of the original writer, you know, of this particular. That's because Instagram uh, loves when drama goes because everyone gets a lot of hits on drama. He yeah. said what? Oh no, I'm gonna. <laughs> That's it. I'll slap him. Yeah. So anyway, so here, you know, like I said, we got we got the general response was people would pick one or the other. And there was a few dramas. Or the other, or the other, yeah. Right, and there was a, a couple of others, which I'll mention in a moment. Uh, but one in particular, the, the, the strongest reaction, uh, and I'm just seeing if I have his or her name here, uh, was, um, yes, it looks like, I'm, I may not pronounce this properly, but it's T-H-O-R-N-E. It looks like Thorn underscore identity. Thorn identity? No, Thome. T-H-O-M-E, Thome Identity. And uh, the first response was, ludicrous question. (laughs) Yeah, to which I responded, uh, why do you think that? And then uh, the person responded with uh, basically that the story is the determining factor of quality and so forth, not the genre that you stuff it into. And I thought, okay, I get, I hear what you're saying. Um, and then I, you know, got some more random responses and then I put it to my class. Now, the benefit of being able to put it to my class is after I put the question out there and I got some responses, I said, what did I not say? What did I not do? And there was some banter back and forth with kids. Some of them figuring out. And when I say kids, I'm talking about people who are anywhere from 19 to 28 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And finally, one of my classmates said, my, not my classmates, one of my students said, you didn't qualify what you meant exactly by the most powerful. And I said, exactly, I didn't. And I didn't deliberately. Um, because I wasn't saying, I wasn't saying a particular thing. I was saying something else. So before I 
throw out there what I really meant by this question or what I was going for by this question, you had a response as well to the question. I did. I <clears throat> yes, did. you did. And, and I said, one, 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 one time. no. <laughs> It always comes down, if I remember, I'm paraphrasing myself now. How weird is that? Um, it always comes down to uh, writing a good story. And then, uh, and I think that's, especially as you're an emerging writer, uh, you write, you know, writers write. And then you find out what kind of stuff you write, you know. Um, I don't think... Successful writers, well, some do. Some are, I don't know if mercenary is the right word, but some are um, detached in that way where they say, oh, I see. Well, suspense is a hot uh, uh, market these days. I'm going to write a suspense. And uh, chasing markets, I think, is a, a fool's errand. You know, some people have success that way. I think writing what comes natural to you, the stories that you know, resonate with you. It's the only way to go. And if that becomes, and this is one of the reasons I get tripped up a lot in um, multi-genre, you know, I I write and then try and figure it out what it is afterwards, you know. So, mm. you know, I have a police procedural that is really a thriller that has a tinge of supernatural. Well, what is it, you know? <laughs> and some, you know, some people in the publishing industry will say, well, you know, what it is is a headache. It's, um, you know what it is? It's, it's hard to place that in a market because it's, it, it's, it's neither here nor there. And you should yeah. take out some of it and just let it be here or let it be there. Because then well, it'll be easier for me, meaning them, to, to deal, right. deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, that, that's the... What are you going to work on? You know, are you working on product or you're working on telling a story? And, you know, ask uh, best-selling authors because maybe maybe they have a different idea than me who uh, is not on the best-sellers list right now, you know? But that was my take on it was that it's the story that matters and the genre comes second. Um, but you say you have an ace up your sleeve, so talk, talk, brother, what's up? Well, you know, because you just said exactly what I was actually uh, alluding to. You just Ooh. revealed it right there, you know, without knowing. No, we didn't prep in advance. We didn't prep in advance. I was not aware that I was involved in a reveal. Yes, there you were. See, there you go. <laughs> you know, we're all that. Um, <laughs> I, first off, I agree with, with, with Thome and with, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and I obviously agree with you in that the quality of the story, telling the story, picking the, 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 the tale you want to tell and doing it to the best of your ability is really what it, it's about. That's a writer's gig. That's, that's it. You jump in for that. Um, if you're going to jump around the marketplace because what's hot, what's you know cool at this time, it's sort of like changing your hairstyle repeatedly to go along with the fads. And yeah, you can do that. Some people do that. You know, God bless them. Um, but what I was saying was, because we don't, we don't always think about marketing. We don't always think about um, what affects the general audience in a particular way or what opens them up to maybe the message we're trying to get across. And I have found over the years both in writing of books and plays and everything, but also 
in terms of uh, film and, and even public speaking, that comedy is it's hard. Power. Yeah, it's hard, but it's a powerful, powerful device. Because comedy, and I don't mean you're a comedian, but using comedy, using that genre, it, it sets people up. A lot of your audience is, they, they're suddenly, they're rolling along with you. You got them laughing, you got them smiling, you got them at ease. They're taking, you know, this, this world that you brought them into is, is humorous, it's all lighthearted, right? And then bam, social issue. Bam, environmental issue. Bam, political issue. And they're open. They didn't see it coming, or they 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 accept it a little bit easier because you're not in their face with it. I've seen comedy work like that. Uh, one of one of the things that first hit me like that was years ago. I was watching a Richard Pryor uh, concert mm-hmm. in film. It was uh, live on the Sunset Strip. Sure. And released. It was released in the theaters, and I was there on a date, and we were laughing at the opening. The opening is talking about. All right. Yes, I had a date once. Uh, he, he's he's. T- this is after he did the the freebasing and the coke blew up in his face and burned him. He'd recovered from all that, so he's telling the story about being in the hospital his first few days, trying to recover, you know, just enough so that they could begin soaking him in the chemical bath to help deal with the the destroyed skin on his body. Right. right. And he's 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 telling us this stuff. And he's telling us about this orderly. You know, okay, Mr. Pryor, you know, two more days, Mr. Pryor, and we're going to take a bath, right? We're going to take a bath. And Richard's going, I'm not going to curse, but Richard's saying, man, I ain't going to take no bath with you, man. You know, but he's got us laughing about this. Okay, Mr. Pryor, one more day. And then again, the audience is laughing. And then he said, comes the day. So, okay, Mr. Pryor, here we go. He's got him on the gurney, roll him into the room. And there's this big metal tub, this giant tub that they're going to ease him into. And he can see. You know, the chemical bath is there. And okay, Mr. Brown, now we're just going to slide you in here. He said, and the man, man put me in the slam in. And then the pain hit me. And then he proceeds to tell us about the pain mm-hmm. that he went through as that stuff touched his destroyed flesh. Yeah. The, the theater was dead silent. We couldn't backpedal out of it. Because we had been rolling down the hill with him in this humor, and he took us right into that thing. Right, and then and there's an intimate, there's yeah. an intimacy with humor. Yeah. So you you're in, and you're in for the ride, and you're investing, and and it's almost like you're you're encouraging. And then he turns and and Friars, if not the very best, he's among the very best at turning on a dime. Yeah. And yeah. boom! Oh. And he's, he nailed me like that several different times with his, his stand-up. And other people have done it with other films and books. And as I said, I'm not saying that comedy is the only. I'm not saying it's the best genre, the best medium. I'm simply saying it is so powerful a medium because it can do that. People will not, not all people, obviously, but a lot of people will go into whatever the story is right. because you got me amused and happy, and I'm, and then boop, we slip in, we sneak in, or we hit you right in the face with the truth of what we're really talking about. All right, two two questions. 18- remind me, remind me, was comedy one of the four choices? Yes, it was. Okay, so- it was drama, horror, um, mystery, and co- hang on, yeah, drama, horror, romance, and comedy. Right. So what I would say to that 
is the best drama, the best horror, the best mystery, romance, suspense, thriller, crime, sci-fi, whatever, sci-fi, the best any of those genres will employ comedy and hopefully employ it well Mm -hmm. for exactly the reasons that you're talking about. You know, uh, um, a well done and doing comedy well is hard. And this is we last week we talked a lot about embracing rewrite. You know, mm-hmm. comedy is rewrite. You talk about Richard Pryor, and he may not have sat at a typewriter, but he revised those jokes and revised those mm-hmm. jokes before the cameras rolled until they were perfect. Same thing with oh, uh, Robin Williams used to just go out and bleh. No, everything was planned. Even when he was going over to pick something off a, a, a member of the audience, he knew a couple of different things. He had four or five things that he could make this joke or that joke depending on what he found in the audience, right? And not to say they're fake. That's part of the art, right? And part of the art for us is rewriting and using what we have and mixing genres in that way, using comedy, especially to set up the other genre. Mm-hmm. Right? If you had been something humorous and then a dramatic or drama thing happened or the horror thing happened or this, you know, powerful. So Billy Wilder did it beautifully. It was another example I used in a film group that I work with uh, in uh, The Apartment. Yeah. Which yeah. which a lot of people see as a comedy initially, but it's a, it's a if, to use the sort of mutated term, it's a dramedy. Uh, because Jack Lemmon's character is this nebbish little guy, and, you, and there's a lot of funny things that happen, but the drama, the, the heartbreak, the other things come right in there. And even the romance is right in there. It's, it's tender and it's gentle. And, and there are funny things around it, but a lot of the humor is not body humor. It's not okay. slapstick. It's the humor of life. And some of that is just presented in such a way that you just, you just roll with these two and you, you root for them. And so and, you know, and right. he he manages to to speak uh, significantly on on you know, with some social commentary mm-hmm. underneath all of that stuff. Yep. And there's a movie where you know I would second your recommendation that to watch that. But also you you probably can get either that from the library or from you know the internet at this point. Read oh. that script and then watch it again. Yeah. You know, because. It's all on the page. All of it is on the page. And it I'll even, is I'm impressive. Sorry. I'll even add, just because it's Black History Month, I'll even say that when I saw that movie first, the first time I saw it, I was maybe, I don't know, 14, something like that, maybe a little younger. And I just watched the movie, right, and the things that were happening. Of course, as you get older and you see the movie again, you find that each time I'm relating to another portion of the film because I'm now older. But... What happened to me was uh, just, you know, like maybe I was maybe 20 by the time I noticed something else about the film. And that is, considering when this movie was made, which is the 60s, uh, 99% of the films in the 60s, you saw offices, you saw subway stations, you saw anything in New York City, you did not see people of color. Mm-hmm. And yet Wilder had just, I'm going to use this term, peppered, seasoned within a number of the crowd shots, black folks. 
in the, mm -hmm. going into the elevators to go up to their offices. In the scene where we see Jack Lemmon's character, he works as this uh, uh, sort of accountant, you know, for lack of a better word, in this huge insurance firm on one of those floors. So it's, you know, it's like a, a football field size office space with hundreds of, of people sitting at calculators, those big things, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right, and right. you can see through the background, you can see black folks walking like there's a black woman. She's moving from desk to desk, talking to people. So I mean, I hadn't picked up on that. And that is a thing that was unique to the majority of films and television that you would see at that time. We only showed up 90 percent of the time if we were a, a servant. Right, so even right, with yeah. yeah, even that subtle thing in this dramedy, in this comedy drama, you know, was just another little tiny thing that said, here's real life, here's a piece of real life, you know, that was in it. And, you know, I, again, I think maybe they got away with it because it was, A, Billy Wilder, <laughs> you know, and they were, they, they're kind of nice to Billy because he had a rep. But the other thing was, well, at, at, at that time, I think he, uh, he had leverage. Yeah, he did. He did. You know, and, so they're and, not going to argue the small stuff because they yeah. want the bigger thing. They yeah. want the move. If they even noticed, if they even noticed, because, you know, we're well, talking about the same the era. Thing. Yeah. We're taking talking we the same that Shatner kissed uh, Lieutenant Uhura in the Star Trek episode, and that was a big oh, you know. oh my god, yeah. Uh, but either way, well, you know, even even Lieutenant Uhura didn't. And again, we're, we're, we're talking about mixing genres and all that stuff. So yeah. let me try and make it a, a yep, you know the famous story for a moment. Well, I mean, you you would think we were going off topic. I I I don't think so. Is what I'm saying. Um, she famously. Uh, told Martin Luther King that I'm going to quit the show. I'm going to do something more important. And he said, "No, you have to stay on. It yeah. proves that we make it. You know, we we're there in the future." Mm -hmm. And it was a completely different way of seeing what she thought was because you know, if we're honest, man, that's a limited role, especially in a TV show. She was kind of like a receptionist or community. You know, <laughs> really was. Uh, yeah. That was, excuse me. That was sad. You know. Um, but King chose to see it a different way, you know, and should we bring up, uh, the other, the Instagram debate I was having? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. It, it's tied to, and again, it's tied to, you know, everything you do, you know, you drop a pebble in the a lake and then you see the, you know, the ripples, the ripples. So, um, I'm having a debate with somebody, uh, a nice enough guy, but you know, um, Somehow they were talking about Stanley and Jack Kirby, and uh, he mentioned that they were guilty of white privilege. And my argument was, white privilege is a term in the last few years. The bulk of their work was the early '60s, where the world was vastly different. I don't. I have a problem when you go back and retroactively negate. Everything somebody else did for a 2020 definition of things or a view of things. So my argument was that, um, sure, they, you know, there's much more diversity today, but these guys were working within a very conservative, you know, limited um, uh, um, industry. And they opened some doors despite that, you know. Um, 
where there are tons of African-American characters in Marvel Comics in the early 60s? No, but when they could put one in, they put one in uh, respectfully, you know? There wasn't any pie faces or uh, uh, like the Sambo character that was in the spirit and all that stuff in the 40s, you know? Um, you know, they, uh, the, the example I used was, um, I guess you could have used Robbie Robinson in the in the, um, in the Spider-Man, right? He, he was an yeah, executive, and we saw him keep going. I, yeah, it was good to see, uh, at least, you know, again, this is where you used to look for people. Hey, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the Black Panther character, you know, originally had the open cow. Oh, you can't do that. We can't show a black. Oh my God! We can't show a black hero. What the hell? And Jack was like, "All right, um, I'll put the pull cowl on. Um, I, I'm gonna flesh out his background." And they were like, well, "We don't care as long as you don't see." And then he created. Right. It's Africa, Wakanda. so we'll probably see huts, ears, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but instead of huts and stuff, you know, there was a little of that for you know, just in case they glance at the pages. But he created the most advanced, progressive. Uh, uh, the hope of the world in Wakanda, right? And that was, he did that. Did he do, did he change, you know, 1% or whatever the small percentage it was of characters that were of color to 20%? No, he didn't do that because of the world as it was. But did he open doors? Did he open minds? Did he have White kids in the 60s going to college, reading about Black, uh, 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 Black Panther and Wakanda and cheering and saying yes and looking at a wider world. Yeah, that's what he did. While they were putting out an ever-increasing number of titles with imagination and just blending that in, which is ultimately the goal that everyone will get past their hang-ups and will be humans. So you can't say, well, you negate all that because white guy, white privilege. I, I, you know, and as a white person, I know, it, I know that it's easy to say, well, you're just speaking from your white privilege. And, well, let me, let, me just, let me just put it this way. As I'm a black, having a Jetta, what privilege? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just... As, no, as a black person, the, the, you know, the bottom line of it is the, the existence of privilege for whites has existed since, you know, all times, you know, just going back, slavery, the whole bit. I got that. Um, so we live in a racist world where the phrase is used or overused is, you know, for the sake of of the market. Let's just get that out there, and we got this this catchphrase we can use very easily. The reality is, when a white person who doesn't have to rock the boat rocks the boat for the right reasons, that's what they did. When a yeah. black person does it. Because he or she has to, okay, that's what they did. If they rock the boat for others who are not African-American or black or African or Jamaican or whatever, then that's what they did. The bottom line is, as long as people are doing the right thing, trying to make it a little better, then you accept that and then you have a unified front as opposed to dissecting everybody's motives and intentions. And bringing it back to writing... Because one of the things we often say throughout all our episodes is a writer reflects life. Right, right. We we reflect not only what we've experienced in our writing, but we also reflect what we've seen 
what's going on around us, what influences have been in our existence as long as we've existed. And so right. we are definitely, <laughs> to use the phrase, colored <clears throat> by what we've lived through, what we've experienced. And I think that ultimately, if you can, and we talked about this in one of our episodes too, if you are not what you are writing about, then do your homework. Right. If you are what you are writing about, write from the heart and be real. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Either way, the end result, or I should say the goal, is that you go for the quality. You go for doing the best you can. You go for telling the best damn story you can. Yeah. And then you can stand by that. And in the case of the people we're talking about, the work they did speaks for them. Other yeah. people and interpreted that, connected to it, usurped it, oh, you know, whatever. But it started where it started. And it has continued and has, in some cases, has even magnified far beyond what those two gentlemen might have expected. Well, you know, look at, you know, from a creative perspective. Black Panther, especially in the early 60s, showed up every couple of, you know, a couple of issues a year at most. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and usually McGregor with, got him. Yeah. Right? And then McGregor got him. And even that, you know, the legendary jungle action, as, as, as questionable as that title was, right? McGregor took it, and it was a bi-monthly. So, oh, my God, you know, every other month you would get an installment. But he, he wrote a novel. Mm -hmm. That's what he wrote, and it still stands today. And that the base it out. The movie. Well, that's really what I'm getting. Another set of creatives took all of that, and you sit down and watch the Black Panther movie, and it's 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 the 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 end product of those few, you know few mm -hmm. pushes they could make is that it's black. From beginning to end, it's behind the camera, on the, you know, everywhere they're creating. And creating together one of the strongest pieces of, of character development, of adventure, of cultural advancement, all that stuff in, a, in a, another Marvel movie. And that all started with these little efforts, right? So what we do matters. How we do it matters. What genre it goes in has to be from your heart. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and one of the things that I, you know, that I push back against is, hey, you know, whatever they did in the past, great. What are you doing in the future? Yeah. And I, I push against divisiveness and I try to push towards inclusion because, you know, you take, you take the best piece of whatever and start dividing and start ripping it up. You don't get a better anything. Dividing, ripping people apart, ripping cultures apart, ripping teams apart, ripping the past apart, ripping our future apart, that's not creative. That's destructive. And what we need now is stories and creatives that push us forward. Which absolutely then goes to our, our listenership, you know, as opposed to our readership, um, 
to say that the stories you want to tell, whatever the genre they fit within, do your best. You know, go for it. You know, and 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 even you know, because we don't talk about it as much, but biographical, you know, slice of life, you know, um, journals, things like that. That's still telling the story. It's telling your story, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's valid too because you are here, and somewhere, somehow, some way, you are affecting the universe in which we live. And so, again, look for ways to tell the stories to improve to expand your experiences so you have even more to write about. Yet you learn more, you grow more, you see more, you understand more, and you can better reflect it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's nice. And <laughs> Go ahead. We, we had kind of a weird osmosis kind of get you right on today. All of it kind of had to do with how you do what you do, you know, um, I don't know if we have homework. I don't know if we have a wrap-up, you know. Well, and I, that's, what the, that's what the lesson was today. I, I, would, I would say that, once again, you know, the homework is always what we ask for the most. And I think we got a lot of it this time around with the, with the little, little choice, little quiz box or whatever it is. And I'll throw another one out there. But I would love to continue to hear back from people uh, in terms of what they thought of this episode or... Did we bring up something that you hadn't thought of? Did we leave something out? Uh, is there something that you feel, you know, we're, we're like far afield of and you want to share your, your viewpoint on? We're open to that because that's the dialogue we should be having. And as I said, you know, the more you experience, the more you learn, the more you see, the more you hear, the better you can tell your story. There you go. Okay. So, Cap, Hi, brother. always a pleasure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and by the way, you know, just thank thank the goddess for me, you know, because she's well, she's obviously doing a grand job keeping you supplied there. <laughs> she really is. <laughs> Take care, everybody. All right. Peace.